Helping people change is our topic this semester. Let me jump in right away to things here, uh, some important notes. As I stated last week, the Holy Spirit is obviously the one that changes us. He uses his word. However, we are the mouthpieces, and that's where we get the instruments in a Redeemer's hand. We're the instruments God uses, the tools God uses to help other people change. I, I think what I'm about to say here is really important for setting the table and communicating to others. But as we talk with other people, we, we need to make them really understand what's going to be the solution to their problems. We don't want to view the, view the Bible as being some sort of like encyclopedia. So if you're struggling with, your, with marriage, here are some passages on husbands and wives. Go study these passages and your marriages will be better. That's not how God designed the Bible to work. There are specific topics and things that we can address, but those things are going to reinforce the grand story of what's in God's word here. The author states here, I thought it was a good summary of things. Lasting change only really begins when our identity, purpose, and sense of direction are defined by God's story. And that story is what we want to focus on today. This section calling God's rebar, if you think there's those, that slab is reinforced by those pieces of rebar that run both directions. And they provide that additional stability. Over at the university when they were building the, the parking garage, they don't just pour concrete. There's also a lot of rebar that goes in there to provide support because once you start stacking those things on top of each other and you get more pressure, that concrete is just going to crack if there's nothing to support it. So with that in mind, let's let's talk here about God's rebar. It's the, the themes, okay, the themes of God's story that run throughout every passage of scripture. And it's those themes that produce the stability. And this is where I, I briefly mentioned these last week, but I wanna dig into them here a little bit further here. So these themes really, they, they're the pieces that in essence provide the context for what's happening in a person's life and what they can learn and understand to make sense out of their story. I actually mentioned, like I said, these last week, but again, I, I, don't wanna, I didn't wanna fly through these, and so these will be familiar, but let me add to them a little bit. Why don't you go ahead and turn, first of all, to Daniel 4.35. There are three themes that we're gonna talk about, and these, again, these three themes are what are the rebar, the supporting pieces that we find running through, just like they run through the different different layers of that parking garage. These are the themes that run throughout all of scripture. And these themes are the things that are the, that underlying, underlying surface there that we need to fix that's gonna provide the support and help us deal with the quote unquote problems that we see on the surface. The first thing we wanna talk about is God's sovereignty. So God's sovereignty here found in Daniel 4.35. Let me read this here. It says, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? I think when we talk about God's sovereignty, a lot of times, a lot of people, they think just about God's position as being the one on the throne or the power that goes along with it. But if we don't also include there God's plan for us, then sometimes we can view as, well, because everyone agrees with this, is God the one on the throne? Yes. Is he the one that has power? Yes. Does he actually have a plan for your life? Uh, I'm not real sure based off of what's going on right now. I can't understand this. I can't make sense out of this. I don't like the direction in which this is going. This can't be right. So when we miss out on that third piece, then all of a sudden now God's not really sovereign because those three aspects make up his sovereignty. This isn't just about looking again, even about dealing with struggles, difficulties, things I don't understand in my life. If we just view God as being powerful, 
and being on the throne, God may be a, a ruler like a monarch, like, but he's no different than a monarch that just sits on the throne and does whatever they please, just kind of willy-nilly. Well, that may not help me in the long run. That may not work out for my benefit in the long run. So it's this idea of having not just a plan, but here's a key too that we need to communicate both to ourselves and to others. He has a loving plan. And that's the thing where we hear this phrase a lot around here. Dad's talked a lot about this. God is always up to something. He's always up to something good in our lives. So what's the practical application here? Well, when I don't understand what's happening, when I don't understand the pieces that are going on in my life, there can be a peace that goes along with things because I can remember on the fact that God is holy. That means he can do no wrong. I don't understand what's going on in my life. Something must be wrong here. No, no, God's holy. He's not going to do something wrong. All of his ways are pure. They're right. No, this isn't right. This isn't fair what God's doing. No, that goes against his character. What he's doing in your life is right. It is pure. It, it may not be fun. It may not be easy, but it is right. and It is pure. He is loving. He is all-powerful. He is all of those things, the characteristics of God. He is those things. Those things do not change. And all of those things go into him having a loving plan for us. When we remember those things, when we dwell on those things, that's when we, when we dwell on the characteristics of God. That's where the peace comes from. I don't have to be fearful about things. Or you don't, when you're communicating this to somebody else, you don't have to be fearful about this. You don't have to be frustrated about this because God is sovereign. Second thing there, God's grace. God's grace. There, there are aspects too of, of both when we think about grace. If I were to ask you to find for me or talk to me about God's grace, you're going to talk about things like either God's unmerited favor or like his divine power and the enablement that he gives to us. I think there, there are both aspects of this that course throughout all of Scripture. And even from the fall, when, when God promises right after Adam and Eve sin, what is like the first thing that he does when he finds them? I'm going to give you someone, a Savior, who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Like there's hope immediately. And just keep reading. The children of Israel, like God delivering them from Egypt. God's showing great. He shows grace over and over. And they do something foolish, and then he shows grace to get to them again, and they do something else, and he shows, he's like constantly showing grace. Like that's part of his character, you see. And you go back and look at your story, and you're probably seeing moments of grace over and over and over and over and over. It's important for us to remember that. So the practical application here, if God has the ability to deliver in those huge moments that we see in God's word, then he has the ability to deliver and to show his grace in our little moments as well. Theme number three, God's glory. The author tells a story, if you read the book, the author tells a story about a little boy named Johnny who attended his friend's birthday party. They all sat down for the present time, and the presents started to pile up around Susie, who was, it was her birthday party. With each present, with each opening present, you could hear a louder and a louder, like, <laughs> as he's sitting over there with his arm crossed. Johnny wasn't happy. It became louder and louder. Finally, at one point, one of the other mothers came alongside and kindly knelt down next to Johnny and just simply said to him, Johnny, this is not your party. As similarly as Johnny wasn't supposed to be the center of that party because it wasn't his party, this party isn't about us either. And whether or not we admit that we put ourselves at the center of this party, we often do put ourselves at the center of the party. A lot of people, like we said, we end up acting like Johnny if things don't go our way. Why isn't this working out for me? We were made for God's glory. Life was not created for our glory. And the things that humans have duped themselves into believing is the fact that if I do make things out for my glory, then I'll be happy. And you know how this works. You manipulate or coordinate things to work out according to the way that you think that things are, should be and how happy, like, I'll be happy if things work out this way. And what ends up happening? 
you manipulated it, it worked out the way that you thought, and you're still not happy. And a lot of times we're still not happy because oftentimes something else maybe comes into play that we didn't account for, and now we just have, oh, well, if I control that one too, then, I, then things, and it's just, it doesn't work. Why? Because you were not created to be the person in charge. This story isn't about you. This story is about someone else, and his name is Jesus. So what we're trying to do is help others have this God story mentality and for them to encourage them to both rest in his sovereignty, to rely on his grace, not our own strength, and to submit to his glory instead of seeking our own here. So do we really need help? That's the question here. You may answer that. You may be honest. Yes, my needs help. Or it may be, no, but the person next to me sure does. I live with them on a regular basis. No, God has not given us this uh, step-by-step. Well, if you follow this, these are the seven steps to living in a perfect relationship with other people. That's not how it works. We understand actually that we're in need of hope. We wanna give hope to other people, but we think about like, okay, so where do I start here? And that's what we wanna talk about here. What's the big picture that we see in God's word? There's three angles that we're gonna come at this from. The first one is gonna be, we're gonna look at this from creation, then from the fall, and then finally redemption here. So we're gonna see our need based off of what we see in creation, what we see in the fall, and what we see in, rede- in redemption. I hope this isn't like academic, but there is a sense of like, for us to study this will give us the perspective as to how we were created as human beings and really like why we think the way that we do and why we need God the way that God says that, that we need him. So first one here uh, in creation. Go ahead and turn, if you would, to Genesis 1.26. We're going to read through verse number 28 here. Genesis 1.26, then God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Those last couple of verses, I think the last one in particular there, humans in the broadest sense, the human need is the fact that we were created and as soon as we were created, God started giving us instructions. It wasn't just he created us and then it was like, all right, well, there it is. As soon as he created Adam and Eve, he started giving them instructions. He started giving them his counsel, i.e., we were not designed to live independent of God's counsel. He created us as thinking beings, but just because we were created as thinking beings didn't mean necessarily that we knew how or what to think about or how to think correctly about things. And so he immediately, right afterwards, as we said, Adam and Eve needed his help, and he immediately started walking with them and talking with them. And here's the thing that the point with all of this is, to be human is to need help outside of ourselves in order to help us understand and live life. I think this is really important. So God gave Adam and Eve the ability to think, but immediately he starts giving his words to help them interpret their world, what's going on around them. So as it is with us, we are, we are all actively interpreting life. And we are all interpreting, when we interpret life, what we all, some more than others, we immediately share our interpretations with other people. 
This is why having that biblical worldview is something that is becoming more and more talked about, at least in my circles it is. You're communicating something from a perspective, i.e. you have interpreted the world or somebody has taught you how to interpret the world and now you are sharing interpretations with our children, with our spouses, or it's just coming out in the way that we live and people are observing us and they're saying because that person lives that way, they must believe this. We all base life on certain interpretations. We make interpretations out of the facts, okay? So everybody says, well, no, we just, we just take the facts and we just share the facts. No, you don't. You take the facts and you share your interpretations on that. And a lot of us, we share those interpretations when we're talking in the context of this class as advice to other people. Okay, we'll come back and talk about that one in a moment as well there. Think about this later on, this idea of counseling. What is he called later on in Isaiah? The wonderful counselor. Adam and Eve needed right from the start, humans right from the start, needed the wonderful counselor to explain life to them. A couple quotes I want to read to you. If it is true that all human beings are constantly trying to make sense out of life, then all of life is counseling or personal ministry, which then kind of ramps it up for us and our response, in our minds it should, our responsibility to make sure we are helping others interpret life properly. What is properly? It's those last three things that I mentioned on the last slide. Making sure that people are interpreting their world based off of God is sovereign. God will give me the grace that I need to do whatever he has called me to do. And last one there, this, is, this story is about God's story, not about my story. And then hopefully perspective on things will change. Uh, last one here that I want to read. The issue is not who is counseling. All of us are. The core issue is whether that counseling is rooted in the revelation of the Creator. Next one here, as, need, as seen in the fall, as seen in the fall. So shortly, right, I mean, short, shortly right after what we just read there, go ahead and turn over to Genesis 3. We're going to read. So shortly after, after we see this first time here of, of someone counseling, there's the new, there's introduced a new counselor, another counselor, another voice. And that speaker takes the exact same set of facts, same set of facts, same garden, same facts about what's going on, about what, what, what was done. But now they get, he gives them a very, very different interpretation. Now, if you think about it, God talks to Adam and Eve, says to them, these are the things I want you to do, the way that I want you to live, the things that I don't want you to do, the things I don't want you to touch. And now the serpent comes along and he's got the same facts. There's a tree that was created, you were created, but now he's interpreting things differently. Let's read Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Can somebody read that for me? And now the serpent was more supple than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree that should be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Okay, five principles here that I want us to see from Genesis 3. These are right from the book, by the way. I may add a couple thoughts to them throughout, but 
Thoughts, opinions, advice, and relationships are always agenda setting. Though we may be unaware of it at the time, we daily advise each other on what to desire, what to think, and do. So to be introspective here, uh, can anyone, so give me some feedback here, can anyone think of examples of this positive or otherwise? This idea, thoughts, opinions, advice, and relationships are always agenda setting. In other words, you're not going at anything neutral. This isn't like, well, I, I hear this sometimes from some people. You know, this isn't my opinion on things, this is just how it happened. Especially if you're from a school setting. Mike, you ever had this? Like, Johnny, what, what happened? So it gives you the facts. Hey, hey John, now what happened? I, I came over here and found you guys fighting. Are the same two always the same? No, right? It's their interpretations on how things worked out. So that was an example. Anybody have another example of this? Maybe working with somebody, talking with somebody? I think that when you're trying to get someone to, like, when we're making plans or something, you're going to campaign for what you want a little sure. bit more. Or even with kids, it's going to be like, no, you don't want to go to that place. That right. place is horrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's good. This place is awesome. Cleaning is fun. Right. You know, stuff like that. It's like, I know what I'm doing. Right. Unfortunately, we do have the same thing after you campaign. Yeah. She talked about campaign. We're all worn out from this, from having to deal with this from last year, right? But that's all the political season is. They've got all their things that they say up on the screen are their facts. Those aren't facts. Those are interpretations of things that were founded on facts. Be very careful now when I'm giving advice to somebody else, understanding that maybe from where this is coming from, and that's the second one here, advice is always moral. It's always defining right and wrong. It's always true and false. It's always good and bad, wise and foolish. Advice is never neutral. It's never neutral. I think this should kind of put some weight on things. The practical side of this is before the next time I'm about to give advice to somebody else, you better be careful to make sure that you have A, thought through it. More importantly, prayed through it. Prayed that God would give you the words to know what to say about it. Because a lot of us will some just kind of like shoot off of the hip. Well, I know what the facts are. This is, I've seen this before. I've seen this before, and this is your problem. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. You probably should have put some thought and some prayer into, into that. Third one there. We should hunger for the simple dependence scene in Genesis 1. God met the Adam and Eve in the garden and just simply was walking with them, talking with them, giving them that instruction. The simple dependence where people, what they thought, what they, it was all based off what God told them. This is where we need to be careful about who are we are allowing to speak into our hearts and into our minds. Because if we go back to the first points and know that no advice is neutral, then when I go to read that Facebook post or that Instagram post or whatever it is, that person is not just sharing facts with me, even if they say, these are just the facts. They're not. They don't understand something if that's what they're saying. So as I allow those words to be spoken through my eyes or allow somebody to speak them through a video to me, just know that there is an agenda behind what they're saying, whether or not they know it or not. So just simply being wise and being selective of who you allow to speak to you will, I think, a lot of times eliminate whether that's what we watch on television, news that we listen to, music that we listen to, things that we scroll through on our social media. You know, talking especially with like working with kids, they, their life is just this. And all it is is small messages of them being influenced by somebody's thinking. And I know what they're scrolling through is not the top five theologically sound preachers on the Internet. 
And again, then it is coming from a place that we don't want. We would not. If I were to say to you, like, yeah, go in there and you're going to sit there and listen to an hour of that person giving you their advice about things. You'd be like, no, that person doesn't have anything. Why? Then why did you sit there and consume 30 seconds of it? Well, I just, just for entertainment's sake, amusement's sake. Oh, we all know, again, you've been around here long enough. That's dangerous. You're just going to sit there without thinking. So I'm just going to kind of put my brain in neutral. That's not how it works. That's not how the brain works. Uh, the, world, the voices of the world appeal to the core delusions of sinful hearts. The desire to be God. We, we need people in our lives to kind of call us back to reality, God's reality. Because again, we oftentimes live this with, we think, our minds in neutral, and that's, that's just not how it works. That's how God's word, God, God's word says that's not how it works. It can't work like that. Um, so making sure that we're careful what voices are, we're allowing to come into our minds. And then the last part there, the kind of flip side of that, is that we need to make the words of God, His words, to make sense out of life. We need to listen for the one reliable voice of the Creator. His words alone can cut through the confusion of the world's philosophy and our foolishness to make us truly wise. Real knowledge begins with knowing Him and knowing His mind. So again, as we think about this as change being in our lives, it's us having a biblical view of the world and how God created it and how God created things to work. But then as we communicate it to help other people as well, if we don't have God's word, his perspective, then you're just giving advice. And that advice is not neutral. By the way, we're super dangerous too, is the fact that now what we're seeing, now what you're reading on social media is what's the most dangerous kind of, of advice. It's the kind that's sprinkled with truth. So I, I think, again, there's this idea of like, well, it's either truth or it's not truth, and that'll be easy for me to spot. I'm like, no, the devil's he's smarter than that. He, he's going to give a stuff that looks like truth, but that's why it's, people are deceived with things like the prosperity gospel. Why? Because it's God's word, but it's selectively God's word. Um, so making sure that we're wise to those things. How can you identify those things? It's the same way with a counterfeiter. A counterfeiter doesn't study fake bills. A counterfeiter studies the truth, and that allows me to identify. Uh, you guys are all mature with this. Why You read through, and you read that, and you may not know right away, but you ever read something, and you're like, something's not right here. That's God's wisdom. Let, let's, last thing here. Let's see our need in redemption. Turn to Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the of sin. Over the past six months here at church, if you've been around, whether it's been in Sunday schools, there's been sermons that have gone along with this, but the necessity of believers in the lives of other believers, and not just, hey, how you're doing, but actually getting involved, asking them questions, building a relationship, tying things back to our discipleship question and the question that I asked you last, last week, but thinking, do believers those of us with the Holy Spirit, is, do, we, do we really need personal ministry? I think sometimes when you mention this, people are like, and this is, goes along with this day and age, I don't need to go to church. Like I can just get it on a TV. I can just get, or I can have my house church and just my family and whatever. And that I have the Holy Spirit in me and I can just do that with other people. And that's not, that's not what God's word says as well here. So Hebrews 13, 12 through 13, like what's the point of this passage here? What is the point that you would say of this passage it looks like anybody can fall, and so everybody needs to work together right. every day. Right. Like, it's just simply a warning against the falling away from the Lord here. Here's the, the way that the author puts it here in the study guide. 
sinful, sinful, subtle, subtle patterns of sin that I allow in my life that I either just excuse or whatever, but sinful patterns leads to unbelieving, that subtle excusing of my sin, backing away from the clear words of Scripture, to turning away a loss of my spiritual moorings, to a hardened heart that's a heart crusted over with the scabs of sin no longer tender. And this is where, thinking to like Matthew, Matthew 7, where it says that we're really skilled at seeing sin in other people's lives. I'm great at by the way. I'm fantastic at seeing all the sin in Kirsten's life. I am great at it. This is the smallest. That's all she has, by the way. This is the smallest of sins. I can spot those really well. But what am I missing? The log sticking out of my own eye. And that's going to be a problem when we are talking about being instruments in other people's lives. Because if we're having problems with stuff in our own lives, it's probably going to render us somewhat ineffective in being a help in other people's lives which we'll discuss next week.